we're back. Man, talk about a crazy time. When you hear the last like three weeks of this guy's life, four eighth grade graduations, moved houses. So moved out of the apartment into a house, painted, caulked, did all kinds of things with the house. Then broadcasted five postseason baseball games on the radio, WLPO, with my friend Jeremy Aiken. Went to the News Tribune Illinois Valley Hall of Fame. Met all kinds of awesome people, which a lot of them will have podcasts up soon talking about their careers and how awesome it is to be in the Hall of Fame. And I've been writing for four different publications, which equals out or averages six to ten stories a week. Busy, busy times. But it's time to get back to what we love the most, Edge of Your Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon LaChance. Man, it feels good to be doing this again. I know these pauses get annoying. It's life though, right? You got to move through it, keep going, and we're here. Let's do the plugs. Don't know where you're listening to this episode, but you can check out Edge of Your Seat Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and the website www.rss.com backslash podcasts. That's with an S. It's plural. Backslash edge of your seat podcast. Social media, you know we're there. Facebook, edge of your seat podcast. And Twitter, edge of your seat P. The intro and outro you hear is from the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Convelli, my SIU brethren. And as always, this show is brought to you by Mendota Ford. We're here with episode 225. Our very special guest today, Brett Dennis and Mike Turk, both representing the Illinois Valley. As Brett graduated from St. Bede, Mike Turk, a native of Mendota, and now they're both associated with the University of Illinois track program. Brett is a hurdler, a relay runner, and runs the 100-meter dash, while Turk has been the head coach there for now 17 seasons. He coaches the men and the women. Awesome to catch up with both of them. Turk and I had never had like a full-blown podcast conversation. We've discussed here and there. We've texted almost for two years to try to get him on, and we finally did. Brett, always a good, 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 great guy to talk to. Followed his whole career so far. It's fantastic. I was really, really pumped to have both of them on Edge of Your Seat podcast. We actually talked in March, three days after the NCAA Indoor Championship, which was in Birmingham, Alabama on March 11th and 12th. We spoke the 15th or the 16th, talked about the season, talked about their careers. Lots of great stuff here. But before we get to them, let's go over the season for Brett Dennis. In Illinois, they opened the outdoor season with the Ole Miss Classic in Mississippi, which was March 25th and March 26th. Dennis starts the outdoor season with a second place finish in the 100 meter dash at 10.66. 10.66 seconds. That's fast, folks. Very fast. Then Dennis joins Declan Ruste, DeCorey Ware, and Devontae Ford to form the 400 relay team for the Illinois men's track program. They win the event in 40.51 seconds. Not a bad way to start off the outdoor season, a second place finish in an individual event. 
then joins a relay team, and they win it. The ISU Illinois State University Redbird invite was April 1st and April 2nd. At the same time was the Stanford invite, also April 1st and April 2nd. Dennis did not compete. The Illinois Classic was April 9th, and Dennis gets his first win of the season, 110 hurdles, with a time of 13.90, and at the time, that was his personal best. If you didn't notice, I said at the time. On April 14th, Illinois went to the Mount Sac Relays in Walnut, California. Dennis did not compete. The Illinois Invitational was April 22nd, which was also senior day. Very special celebration for the 23 seniors that are with the University of Illinois men's and women's track and field programs. Dennis showed out third place in the 100 meters at 10.45. He wins the 110 hurdles at 13.66, kind of crushing the competition as the second place finisher was Omar Rogers from Southern Illinois University represent he finished at 13.91 so second place was 13.91 Dennis 13.66 had a breezy nice little jog he also joined the 400 relay team again with Ruste, Ware and Ford and again they win with the time of 40.85 at the Drake relays which was April 28th through April 30th in Des Moines Iowa Dennis finished seventh at 14.44 in the 110 meter hurdles. Then we get to the postseason. But before we get there, this is a perfect time to hear from our sponsor, Mendota Ford. Mendota Ford is a community dealership that is dedicated to being community first. A small dealership in a smaller town. The staff of general manager, Ski Hartman, and his associate, Jason Hintz, pride themselves in being here for you. They don't want to sell you one vehicle. They want to form a bond, a relationship, to get you every vehicle you want and cars, trucks, and SUVs for your friends and family. Ski has lived in Princeton since he was five and has been with Mendota Ford for two years. He has plenty of experience helping you with all of your vehicle needs as he has been in the motorcycle business for 20 years and over 10 years in car sales and management. Jason Hintz has been with Mendota Ford for seven years, giving him the experience needed to help customers in every way possible. You can purchase any vehicle off any lot in the Mendota Ford family. Ski and Jason will make sure they track it down and hand you the keys with a little jingle jangle. To check out the many options on the lot, Mendota Ford is located just south of Mendota on Highway 251. To look ahead or find a vehicle on another lot, check out www.mendotaford.com. Call 815-539-9314 for all vehicle inquiries with Mendota Ford. Now to the postseason. It starts with the Big Ten Outdoor Championships, which was at the University of Minnesota May 13th through May 15th. The women finished 9th with 36 points, and the men finished 12th with 17.5. Danis and that 400 relay team of Ware, Ruste, and this time Kashif King Got a few points with a 7th place finish of 40.48. This moved on to the NCAA West Prelims, which is kind of like a regional or sectional, setting you up to qualify for the NCAA Championships at the end of the season. The West Prelims were in 
Fayetteville, Arkansas, May 25th through May 28th. Dennis advanced to the finals of the prelims to try to decide those top 12 finishers that go to the NCAA championships. On day one, a time of 13.68, 8th place finish in the 110 hurdles. Again, this brought him to the finals on day three of the prelims, where he finished 17th with a time of 13.79. The top 12 went on advanced to the NCAA championships. Just fell a little shy. But as you will find out listening to Dennis, he still has one more year. Academically, he's a senior, but because of the COVID year, he's got one more. And he's going to join the grad program at Illinois, and he's going to be a track star one more time next season. So he's got one more shot to make some noise in the NCAA championships, which this year are going to be held Wednesday, June 8th, which is tomorrow, today being Tuesday, June 7th, and they go through Saturday, June 11th, and they are in Eugene, Oregon. Illinois will be represented by Olivia Howell in the 1500 meters and John Davis in the 1500 meters. So a man and a female Illini representing Illinois in the 1500 meters. Dennis had a fantastic season. Mike Turk, a lot to be proud of, of his Illinois program. Track has been amazing for him over the last 17 years. Actually, over the last like 30. But for Illinois, the last 17 years, going really smooth. He talks all about that. Dennis talks about his career, what he wants to do his last couple seasons at Illinois and afterwards. So let's hear a couple words from our sponsors and then let's talk to them. But this is going to be the last time you hear from me. We will be back very soon. We have lots of state high school accomplishments to get to. Boys tennis, baseball, softball, girls track, boys track, girls soccer, all happened in the last couple weeks. We got to break it down. We got to give people the props that they deserve. But I realize this is a long episode, two very, very action-packed interviews with two great guys in Danis and Turk. We didn't want to overload everybody. So our next one, will start breaking down the IHSA state competitions. Until then, until next time, peace. It's finally summer. It's time. It means it's really time to fix all those areas in your house that you scoped out during the cold, the ice, the snow, the rain, the dark, gloomy skies, and thought, you know, this could use a fresh coat of paint, new tiling, new shingles, new drywall, new electrical outlets, or any other renovations or replacements. Olson Construction is a licensed and insured family-owned and operated company that prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty on any job. Brothers Keith Milas and Tommy Olson have the skills and over 10 years of experience each to install, demolish, build, recreate, calculate, and formulate renovations in any room, hallway, staircase, garage, shed, or basement. For a free estimate, call 815-910-5982. Check out the Olson Construction LLC page on Facebook or send an email to olsonconstruction 19 at gmail.com. Finally, we have a beautiful day. My guest today loves to be outside, killing it on the track, running some hurdles. I'm talking about St. Bede alum, now at University of Illinois, Brett Danis. How are you, my friend? 
I'm doing good. You're right this beautiful day. It's good to be here talking with you. Definitely. Did you already go to the park earlier today? Yeah, I was there looking around, watching some koi fish and stuff like that, watching some turtles climb on some rocks and catch some rays. There we go. Catching some rays is like beautiful words right now. After It's been so dark and gloomy and cold, and man, now we can be outside. Yeah, absolutely. Time to get a little color back on my skin. I don't know if you're as white as me. I mean, we're pretty close. We're pretty pretty we're white, pretty white boys. Cool. Last time that I spoke to you, I think it was the end of your senior season at St. Bede at a sectional. I believe it was LaSalle, Peru. You'd gotten mm-hmm. hurt, but you already knew you were going to University of Illinois, so you kind of pulled out at the end of the sectional. And since then, you've been doing great things. I've been trying to. Yeah, I remember that day as well. Probably wasn't a the way you wanted to end your high school career but at the same time you're like hey I already know my future and I'm not going to risk it yeah at that point I kind of already injured my hamstring indoors I think it might have been one of the first couple of meets of that indoor season and I was just kind of trying to work with what I had to do and then sectionals came around and I was like I'm going to put it on the line I want to run the 4 by one because I want to get my teammates there and kind of ended up hurting myself but then Still tried to run the hurdles, and it just didn't really work out. But since then, recovered that hamstring completely and haven't really had to worry about it since. I remember watching you on the hurdles, and I think you hit one, and then you just stopped, and you're like, hey, it's over. And I just remember the look on your face like you were disappointed, at the same time you're like, hey, I can't go on. Yeah, that was that was tough. I, well, I wanted so badly to get that uh, that next hurdle championship and try and break my own record and stuff like that, but I knew there was a bigger picture kind of waiting for me so I was able to pull away and still be happy with what I had definitely and it's not like you were leaving high school without being a state champ without having records without everybody knowing like hey that's Brett Danis that's a dude that can jump over anything yeah yeah yep you're right (laughs) so then we go to University of Illinois what year did you graduate from St. Pete again was it three years ago um that was four years ago in 2018 Gotcha. That COVID year has messed up everything for me. I can never remember who did what now. Yeah, it made things a little different, definitely. On the track as well. So you are technically in your senior year, but you probably have a COVID year? Uh, Yeah, so I'm a senior academically, but on the track, I'm a junior. That's what it says in the heat sheets, at least. Gotcha. At least the heat sheets know what's going on, right? Yeah, yes, they do. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have another uh, year to come back and run here. Do you plan on doing that? Are you going to take advantage of another year? Yeah, I do. The coaches plan on having me back, too, and we've talked about it. Um, I'm going to graduate this year and then come back and start my master's program and then run another year. Okay. What are you going to school for now, and what master's program are you going to get into? I'm in NRES, which is Natural Resources and Environmental Science, and I have a concentration in fish, wildlife, and conservation biology, and I'm going to be coming back and doing my master's in natural resources as well. So it makes total sense that you're outside at a park looking at koi fish. (laughs) Yes, yes it does. (laughs) There's correlation. You're like, there's a reason, Brandon, there's a reason. Yeah, well, coming from a small town, uh, Arlington, 200 population, there wasn't a lot to do except for uh, appreciate nature and being able to turn that into my career one day is uh, one of my goals. Definitely, definitely. Let's talk about your track career. So you've already been three years, the end of the fourth. Uh, what are some highlights, some things that you remember looking back and you're like, man, that was awesome being a part 
of that and being able to do that at University of Illinois, which is a huge track program. I guess some of the most memorable points I've had in my career here would be uh, getting to go to NCAAs as a freshman for the 4 by one and uh, qualifying out of regionals in California and just kind of being around the atmosphere. And that was a big uh, eye-opening experience. And then since then, just being able to run at uh, like Big Ten championships and put points on the board for my team, those are big moments. And I think one of the things that I always remember the most is just the day-to-day stuff uh, in practice, like working and just growing relationships with my friends and things like that. Definitely. And you say out in California, I mean, you've probably been to pretty much every big school in the country. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Four years traveling, uh, like 17 to season and everywhere you could be chasing the weather and trying to get the fast tracks and stuff like that. What's the school where you see on the schedule, you know, they're going to be at a tournament. You're like, it kind of gets those competitive juices boiling like, hey, I got to beat them. I guess there's a lot of schools like that, but the one that's been recently is just Iowa. So they've been Big Ten champions, and I know the guys there, and we're friends. And despite that, they're one of the ones I love racing against the most just because they're good and I love to compete. And I want to race against somebody who is just as fast as I am or faster because that's when I usually run the fastest. Gotcha. So you're like, hey, Iowa's coming to town, or I'm going to Iowa. This is when I'm going to show up. Yep. Bring the smoke. Ready to race. There we go. Do you still do the dab when you're jumping over hurdles? Uh, My forms change a little bit, but it's along those lines still, yes. I used to love it. I remember watching and taking photos at the state meet when you won a championship, and you're literally dabbing as you jumped every single one of them, and I was like, that dude's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's what they teach us. That's the way to do it. And then Fortnite comes out, and everybody started dabbing, and I was like, well, Brett Danis already did it, so what? <laughs> yeah, I've been playing a little bit of that, too, recently. Are you any good? A couple wins here and there, but mostly just for fun. Gotcha, gotcha. I have never been good at Fortnite. I was really good at Call of Duty in my prime, but then, you know, you get busy, you start working and stuff, and you don't play video games as much. Yeah, no time for it. No, no, no. Especially if you want to be good at what you do, you kind of got to focus. Uh, yeah, I, I know that. Luckily, a big part of what I do requires lots of recovery, so I have time to be doing that. How often do you guys have meets? I know in high school you might have two or three a week. I don't think it's that many or that often in college, is it? Uh, no, so usually like we won't have time to be competing during the week. It'll be like a day or a two-day meet, but that's still two days of travel with those meets. So we'll leave on like Thursdays, get there like Friday night, compete Saturday or something like that, leave Sunday. Usually just once a week, though, to answer your question. Going into this season, I mean, you've already been doing some stuff. You had indoor. Uh, how have you been running so far? How has the hurdles been treating you? So far this season, it's been really good. Luckily, I had a good season last year, too, and then I was able to come in this year with a new hurdle coach from the University of Texas A&M, who was previously at University of Florida, and I was able to, you know, work hard under him. He's an inspirational dude and uh, pushes us to go hard every day. So this season's been going well. For indoor, I came in at fifth place in the Big Ten, which was two spots better than last year and able to run a new PR. So in high school, my indoor PR was 782. 
and this year I ran 780, and even though it's only like two one-hundredths faster, the thing you have to consider is that the hurdles go up another three inches after high school, so it's kind of like another race that you have to adapt to, but I feel comfortable and confident over it now, and coming off that PR indoor, I'm ready to go outside and put some more fast times down. You mentioned that the hurdles are taller. How tall are the hurdles that you're jumping in college? Uh, they're 42 inches. So in the terms of like the 100, 200 hurdles, what exactly do you do in the college world? I do the 110 hurdles outdoors, and then I also do the 4x1. And this year I should be running some 100 meter dashes. Okay, so you still got that but, speed even though you can hop too. Yeah, yeah we, keep it, we keep it short over here. So you will not see you in any uh, four mile runs? No, I'll be lucky if I made it on the 4x4. I always warm up for the 4x4 just to stay ready in case somebody gets hurt and I got to go in, but we got a deep squad over here, so I don't see that very often. I know when you're coming out of high school, selecting what college you're going to is tough, whether it's just for academics, you yep. know, athletics, whatever. It is a tough choice. There's a million different uh-huh. colleges. Do you want to stay by home? Do you want to leave? Do you want to go to the West Coast and check out California beaches? Do you want to go to the East Coast and go to Boston and New York? And so yeah. many things that you can do, especially being in rural Illinois, like you and yep. I are from. So many options. Yep. Now, looking back, you made your selection. You're like, hey, I'm going to University of Illinois. Are you still happy with that and glad you made that decision? I think it's one of the best decisions I've made in my life. I'm very happy with it. I mean, it's cold in Illinois, and although we're not able to train on the track outdoor, which does make a difference, uh, we still get the work done. Kind of like talking about what you said, how coming out of high school and kids are thinking like, oh, I want to get out of Illinois, I want to go somewhere nice, I want to experience something else. And I definitely say that I had those thoughts too when I was, a sophomore in high school and I started realizing like huh, this track thing has an opportunity to kind of take me places where I'd like to go original thought was to get out of Illinois but and then I started considering it and thinking about you know I value being around my family and having that support there or just being able to keep in touch with my friends on a regular basis from back home and things like that so I definitely think Illinois was the right choice for me Definitely. I'm glad you did it because it's awesome looking at University of Illinois, seeing your name on the track results, seeing you in action. Like, it's super cool for me. I know that. Yeah. It's a good program here. And I think one of the things that really made me want to come here, aside from, like, my family and connections like that, was just uh, the people that I met here were so, like, kind when I was on my visit. And they were nice. And they were were real. They weren't putting up a, a fake show like some places do. They kept it real. And they were nice. And... They showed me that it would kind of be a family and willing to uh, work with me and build me up and stuff like that, and it was nice. We'll get back to the family part. I did want to ask real quick because we were talking about Illinois and going elsewhere. Yeah. Where are some other schools that you know either gave you offers or you thought about going to? So the other schools that I had uh, like large offers from that I went on my official visits, I guess I should say, would be here, Illinois, North Carolina, the Tar Heels. Kansas, University of Kansas, and Colorado State. So you were a big, giant fish in a big, giant pond, because those are some huge track schools. Yeah. That was my goal in high school, is, uh, you know, put those times out there as fast as I can, make myself known, and put myself in the best opportunity for the future. I'd say you did a good job of that, sir. I was trying to. I'm still trying. And then you mentioned, you know, the people there being real nice, kind, 
University of Illinois track coach Mike Turk from Mendota. We both went to Mendota. I've talked to him many, many times. Uh-huh. To me, he's always been a great guy. I never had him as a coach. How is he as a coach and, you know, helping you develop and get faster times? He's a good coach. You know, he's got a mind for the future and building the program, and he wants to see the best. One of the things that I really like about him is that, I mean, I think it might have been the first week we got here and we had a meeting, and he told us, he's like, on the track or off the track, we're here to build people. We're trying to build your character because that's going to take you farther than just track and field. This track things, you know, it's temporary. Everybody gets to the age where you can't run anymore. And he wanted to make sure that we're strong individuals regardless of the track. But having that, uh, you know, strong, like, personality is also correlated to the track. So usually the people who are going to have success in the track are doing it off the track. So he helped you, like, kind of ingrain that, like, hey, it's, you know, even though it's two different things, your personality and track, we can intertwine it and make the best out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect, perfect. He's a pretty funny guy, too. Yeah, he is. I like him. It's nice that uh, we have that, you know, common background, the little South Peru area and Mendota and that stuff. And he knows rich chicken, and I know rich chicken, so <laughs> we're the only ones on our team who could say that. We say that we know the best fried chicken out of anybody on the tag team. Yeah, if you know about Rip's Chicken, then that's, that's all you really need to know in life, really. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I should get paid for advertisement for Rip's Chicken, though. Yeah, we should, we should get a plug, plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> we should. They can plug Edge of Your Seat Podcast and Brad Danis. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Going into the season, uh, we kind of briefly talked about it, but any goals, any accomplishments that you're trying to do this year? Uh, yeah, I think my biggest goal would be to make it to the NCAA Finals. That's really what I want to do the most. I want to prove that I'm one of the best people out there and I want to put some good times down. And like I said earlier, I love to compete and I want to compete against the best if I get the opportunity to. So that's really what I'm doing this season. They take the top 48 out of the East and top 48 out of the West for the whole country. And then they bring them to a regional and then you qualify out of there, they bring the top 12 from the East and the West to nationals. At like our first meet or two, within the first few meets, I'm trying to put down a time that's good enough to qualify me in. That's my goal. Do you know what the qualifying time is? So it's it's not necessarily a time that's like already put, it's just the top 48. So if it's fast some years and it's slower some years, but it's looking like this year is gonna be a fast year based off indoor. Gotcha, you saw some fast competitors uh yeah definitely the hurdles are good this year gotcha gotcha i think that has to do with uh the covid thing and how many older athletes are still in college because they got that extra year back so the field's a little deeper and it's a little more mature and has more experience in it than it would in previous years Sometimes I forget about that because it's like a pro and a con, right? You get the pro because you get another year, but then the con, because so does everybody else. So if the fastest dude gets another year, you still have to race against that guy, even though he should have been moved on from the year before. Yeah, absolutely. Then the competitive side comes in, you're like, hey, well, if I want to be one of the fastest, I got to beat the fastest. Absolutely. So it just sounds like a giant double-edged sword. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a good thing, though. I like it. I mean, for me, it gives me that opportunity to come back, but being able to compete against those guys for another year and being able to work at it for one more chance is going to be a good thing. During college or after college, has there been any thoughts about Olympics or Nationals or Team USA, any of that kind of stuff? 
I want to ride this out as long as I can, and I want to keep working. And like afterwards, after my next year, if I can go pro, that's definitely something I'd like to do. I mean, I know that's uh, it's a lot of work, and there might not be the most money in this sport, but uh, being able to do that for another year or two or however long, if I get that opportunity, is something I'd definitely like to do. You know, travel through Europe and run on the those circuits. That'd be a fun thing. When you say pro and running, and I'm guessing we're just talking about running. I don't think we're talking about hurdles at this point, right? Uh, no, I am, yeah. Where where would pro be? I mean, there's not like a NBA or a NFL or a MLB for this kind of sport. Where would this take place at? There's like pro races, and you get yourself a, uh, an agent, and they get you into the meets and stuff like that. There's this, It's called Diamond League, and that's a big professional uh, platform where... They host big races. And the thing is that it might not be in the U.S. like such a large thing because, I mean, we have like football takes over. But in a lot of other countries, track and field is one of their major sports, like right up there with soccer. So to compete in track and field professionally, you're going to have to travel across seas. Okay. Have you done that yet? Have you raced anywhere overseas? Uh, no, I have not. So this is probably something else you're looking forward to. Yeah. Any countries, any spots, destinations that you want to run it? <laughs> Wherever the competition is. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to see you on like, the front cover of a Kenya magazine? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, Brett, every single guest on Edge of Your Seat podcast, we have played a game. We're going to play some hot potato. I know you're fast, <laughs> but it's hot, so I don't know who's going to win this race. All right, we'll see you. <laughs> We're going to start off going right into the track. Okay. Which one do you enjoy better, doing the hurdles by yourself or running in the relays with a team? Ah, uh, that's a hard one. I like hurdles, but the relays and getting to work with my team is right there behind it. I don't know if this really classifies as hot potato, but Oregon, every single year I hear about how fast they are, and they can do this and they can do that. Are they at the top of the list with Iowa? They're definitely up there, and they're they're a good competitive school right now they don't really have someone in the hurdles who i'm racing consistently or anything like that so at the moment i'd say no they're not up there with them all right i don't talk a lot of track on here so i had to get oregon out there because i do hear about them all the time yeah no that's fair i understand they got the money <laughs> true true they do sports you prefer basketball or football uh football I know being in our area, you know, there's some weirdos that like the Packers. Are you a Bears fan or a Packers fan? Bears all the way. That's what I like to hear. You're not a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tacos. Steak, chicken, or beef? Steak. Almost every time with flour. Okay. I'm the same way. Apples or oranges? Uh, apples. I eat them with peanut butter. Okay. Do you do celery with peanut butter? Yeah, I do. But I almost choked on it once, so not really anymore. <laughs> it scared you away? Yeah. I mean, this is one of my favorite ones to ask, so I always got to. Michael Jordan or LeBron? Michael Jordan. And I like it when it comes to the younger people that also say Michael Jordan. We know what the truth is. My uh, track coach is also always preaching Michael Jordan. That man is a huge fan, so... I mean, I feel like you have to be a Michael Jordan family coming where, where we're from. You got to. Chicago over Cleveland. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Like Joaquin Noah said, what is in Cleveland? Why would you go to Cleveland? 
Are you more of a movie guy or a TV guy? Um, I think I'm more of a TV guy. I like binging some shows. And they're quick, right? So you can, like, watch a couple yeah. and stop, do what you gotta do, and then come back. I watch a lot of, like, anime, so they're, like, 20-minute episodes. Nice. What's your number one Netflix binge show at the moment? Hunter x Hunter. Okay, I have never heard of it. It's an anime as well. But I guess not uh, Netflix, but on HBO Max, I've been watching a ridiculous amount of Game of Thrones. I had previously watched through, like, season two, maybe, but now I'm, like, getting close to the end here, and it's, it's spicing up. I had watched the first seven seasons of Game of Thrones as it came out, watching yep. on HBO. And then something happened. I think I was just really busy in life, and I didn't get to see the eighth season until uh, I think I watched it in, like, August or September. Yeah. And then I went back and watched them all. <laughs> like, I just binge-watched every single one. Nope. I was like, this show is so dope. Without giving anything away, since you've seen it, I've heard, like, mixed reviews, like, oh, they lost me on the last season, it wasn't as good as blah, 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 but I know, like, the producers, like, they had to stop going off the books, and they started kind of freestyling with it. Would you say that it's all it's cracked up to be, or do you think they fell short with it, or what? I think it was a legitimate end to the story. So it might not have had that dynamic, you know, firepower ending that we all like in shows and movies that, you know, just leave you jaw-dropped. It might not have done that. But in the terms of it carried the story, it made sense, what happened could happen in real life if these were situations that we were in, I think it was well done. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. You've inspired me to watch a couple more episodes right after that. <laughs> perfect, perfect. As soon as you hang out the phone, you'll be like, okay, Game of Thrones. All right, now we got to go Game of Thrones characters. Rob Stark, Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Jon Snow, Ned Stark. Jon Snow. Poor Ned. <laughs> Poor Ned. They didn't give him a chance. He was out too quick. Yeah, what was crazy about that show very first season there's only one guy that i really knew who it was and it was Ned yep. stark as in like actor actresses yeah and he's gone <laughs> i have gotten to the point in the show where i just quit thinking that like oh they're too big of a character like they're not gonna kill him like this is the main character kind of deal every time i think that they kill the next character so i'm done oh yeah and you said you're in the second season no i'm in like season Five now, I think I'm starting. Okay, okay. So some of the big ones that I was thinking about are, are that's already happened. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it never, it's never ending. You're never safe in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Nobody's safe. Who is your favorite Lannister kid? Jamie, Cersei, Tyron. Tyron. I think I said his name wrong. Is it Tyron? It's something like that. Yeah, we know who we're talking about. The little we- guy who is amazing. Yeah. He's an amazing yeah. actor. Character development. That's why I think I like him the most. But also, so does his, so his brother. Yeah. If I was picking out of those three, I would go Jamie. But I like him too. Yeah. Definitely not the sister. <laughs> no. Not a chance. Well, Brett Dennis, St. Beat alum, track star at University of Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us. It's always awesome a pleasure to catch up with you and see what you're doing on the track thank you for joining edge of your seat podcast hey thank you for having me go Illini, go bruins and hopefully i talk to you soon as a business owner one of the issues you have to be aware of is injury and liability to your staff 
An injury can lead to open shifts because an employee is unable to work, a possible lawsuit, and other grievances at the workplace. Supreme Safety by SureStep is a woman-owned small business based out of Tonica that is here to help eliminate those injuries and liabilities which are the number one workman's compensation claim in America. Supreme Safety is a non-slip treatment that will not change the look, texture, or appearance of the tile it's placed on, whether it's residential, business, indoor, or outdoor applications. The non-slipness has been independently tested in labs as SureStep has achieved the highest dynamic coefficient of friction in the industry. Competitors are slipping to catch up. There is absolutely no business downtime as the tile or floor Supreme Safety is applied to can be worked on, stepped on, jumped on, danced on right after the treatment is applied. Supreme Safety by SureStep also offers strip waxing non-slip coatings for a little extra stick with some texture and look changes to the applied surface. Contact Mary Jean Roscoe at 815-488-6565 to get Supreme Safety by SureStep today. Coming from Mendota, going to Mendota High School, going through the ranks of sports, there's always these names that step out. You know, you hear about coaches and players from, you know, previous years. And our guest today is one of them that stands out pretty much to everybody that has ever went to Mendota High School. I am talking about Mike Turk, went to Mendota, a Mendota alum, and now coaches track and field at University of Illinois. Mike Turk, how are you? I'm great. I, you know, the intro might have been a little over the top, but uh, I appreciate the kind words, and it's, it's good to be on with you. Honestly, if you go around Mendota and talk to you know some of the older people or people my age, um, yeah, your name is always tossed around as a, a great coach from here. Well, that's, it really is quite flattering. It truly is. But now you've been at University of Illinois for quite some time. This will be my 17th season, or is my 17th season here. I came here as, a, as an assistant coach on the men's program and have been here quite a while, long enough to survive, I guess, is, is, uh, is a good way to look at it. I mean, I guess once you talk about the coaching ranks of D1 sports programs, being there 17 years, I mean, that, that says a lot. That's a long tenure in college sports. I was at Western Michigan uh, for seven years before I came to Illinois, and in between there I had a short stop in, in Sterling when I ran the Westwood facility. And when I was at Western, I was a part of a coaching tree that that spanned 55 years uh, with two coaches in front of me. Um, I was the third in line. The oldest of those three um, was still alive around and very involved on a kind of a consultant basis, very well known in international track circles. And, my boss, Jack Shaw, you know, always say with pride that he survived. He survived. He had been at Western for like 32 years and when he retired. And I, I never really understood that until, you know, recently. It's not just this profession or this environment that is, this survival um, is important. But I think overall, a lot of careers, a lot of people just, you can benefit by having a mentality of surviving. <laughs> you know, and, and I've seen a lot of people that I honestly think were much more talented and better coaches than I am, but they just couldn't survive. <laughs> they couldn't handle it. You know, and I say that with some pride. I know that sounds like maybe I'm talking down about my career a little bit, but uh, yeah, 
I think there is a little bit of it is, you know, there's a part of it that I'm proud of being able to survive at this level for so long. And, and a lot of people just can't. And it is very challenging. It is hard. What is it about you or the way you look at things that has helped you survive? You know, I, I wasn't really sure 100% until recently what that was. I, I always knew that the thing that always has anchored me and put me in that pathway and, and being able to keep going and survive and, and not just survive, but, you know, obviously I, I feel you know pretty proud of what, what I've done in my career and I've done more than just float in the water. You know, I think that, uh, you know, over time, being able to, you know, have that mentality of being able to survive and get my day-to-day really falls back on my original reason of why I do what I do. It's my why. Why do I do this? And it's, and it's about what's inside of me and, you know, what I get out of this. And, you know, it is about, you know, helping other people and this is my pathway and it's how I view contributing back to society and that sort of thing. So... I've always just kind of stayed true to that, paid attention to that, and when things have been hard, and I've noticed when I felt really super stressed or, or things have been, you know, like an uphill battle, I've always been able to look back on those times and realize that, you know, I let some of those things distract me from what my real vision is, and, and that's what I want to do is coach and mentor young people. And it's all about this bridge and this pathway from them being a um, very dependent and coming from family environments, most of them, or some sort of previous environment where they're they're not adults yet. And we're providing this bridge and pathway being adults and being independent and, you know, and, and being a big part of society, being leaders and a big part of our culture in this country. So, you know, I take that fairly seriously and I've had people that, I've coached through the years. I've been really blessed to coach people that have done great things, tremendous things. So I, I guess that's a long-winded answer to tell you how I've handled the survival game and, and what it's about, but it's about my why. And, you know, when things are bad and I worry about my job, it's usually because I've forgotten, like, I'm here to do this. And I start worrying about what other people think or what maybe my record is or something like that. And when I can push that aside and just focus on coaching and doing what I do and why I do it, things always just work out. And you and I have talked together for a couple stories. We've sent messages back and forth. We've been actually setting this podcast interview up for what seems like two years. Maybe not not that long, but every time that I talk to you, I mean, you're very serious to a point and, you know, you have morals and things you believe in, but you're also a pretty funny guy. Anybody that I've ever talked to about you is like, oh, he's funny. Uh, He'll make you laugh. But you're also serious too. So, I mean, that has to be kind of why you survive too because you're able to adapt and adjust to not only athletes but circumstances as well yeah i think i probably needed a lot more of that um i, I was really fortunate uh i, I started off at Monmouth college as a lot of people know and, and I, bob cooper was not instrumental he was the reason why i went to Monmouth college he he, he got me a, a way to, to go to school and i was just kind of sitting on my butt looking for an opportunity somewhere and and uh, I went to Monmouth, but then I transferred and graduated from Augustana. And, I, and I'm really very blessed to have a great coach at Augustana. Um, I went there to play football, and that didn't work out because of the injury that I had. And uh, so I didn't get to play for Bob Reed, but I got to be around Bob. And, 
and uh, talked to him a lot. I, I worked and did a lot of scouting work for him and his staff. Uh, but the fat coach, Paul Olson, who recently retired after like 53 years as head coach there, is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, his positivity, enthusiasm, the way he can, his charisma, the way he can infect people to look at the bright side, look at the good things and believe in themselves. Um, I, I wish that I could kind of fill half of his glass, <laughs> you know. Um, I really always fall back on that. When when things are really rough or when I'm with an athlete that's maybe going through particularly hard times, you know, I, I really kind of fall back on, you know, a lot of the mentorship that I got from Coach Olson. Um, I might be one of the only people that calls him that. Um, everybody calls him Ols, but I just have too much respect for him to, to, to routinely do that. It doesn't feel comfortable. <laughs> and Brandon, I will tell you a story real quick for, for all Mendota people that will relate to uh, why I probably don't feel real comfortable with that. When I was a freshman in high school, I was walking down the hall, and uh, Dean Loves, uh, who at the time was a sophomore football coach and was an earth science teacher, was in the hallway, and, and Don Gooden, who was one of the freshman football coaches, uh, he was teaching earth science. I had Don uh, for science, and I was walking into Don's class, and, and, uh, and uh, Dean uh, kind of nodded his head and said, hey, Kirk, and as I walked by, I kind of, I think I, I thought I said, hey, Coach Loves, but he, all he heard was, hey, Loves. <laughs> and uh, that man's claw grabbed me on the trap and put me on my knees, and that's the last time I ever called a coach anything other than coach. <laughs> I was actually fortunate enough, my freshman year was Coach Loves' last year at Mendota. So I was fortunate enough to have him as my teacher and a coach, and him and I exchanged emails i did a story on him when i came to the news tribune and he was kind of an inspiration for me and kept me going of what i was doing so i can definitely see how you know he would leave an imprint of something like that yeah i mean you know in today's world that would be certainly be frowned upon and i, and I understand that um those times that wasn't so much frowned upon and, and i certainly understood it then and uh you know i made it a point to learn that, that kind of respect. Maybe I learned it the hard way, but uh, I always felt growing up in Mendota that I was raised around um, a very respectful culture. You know, I was raised around, you know, we called people Mr. Mrs. Coach. Um, so, it's a good place. Yeah, definitely. It's weird for me, too, like coming back to Mendota after going to college and kind of traveling around and stuff, I'll come back and I'm doing a story with them and I'm like, I don't know if I call you Kevin or Mr. Worley. I don't know if I call you Jeff or Mr. Posada. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I go with the Mr. and Mrs. as well and, you know, they never tell me not to, so I'm like, alright, cool. We're good. Well, I finally passed that pathway where I'm old and most everybody else, so it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about some schools, things like that. We said you were from Mendota. Let's connect the dots. Are you born and raised in Mendota? Yes. And then what year did you graduate high school? 1980. Um, I was a uh, senior class of uh, Dean Loves' first varsity uh, team as head coach. Yeah. Okay. Legendary Mendota coach said his name a couple times. Rest in peace. We were not we were not his legendary team. But we <laughs> sure worked and tried hard, and we I mean we had uh, we had some great people. Coach Booker um, was a junior on that team. You're talking about Bill Booker from St. Pete, correct? Uh, absolutely, yeah. 
we had a small senior class, but some really good guys that, uh, in fact, um, just this last weekend, uh, when I drove back from Birmingham, the NCAA indoor meet was in Birmingham. I stopped off in, in Nashville and spent a day with uh, with our starting quarterback for my senior class, Mike Herman, um, and spent time with him. So uh, just great people that I'm very really blessed to still be connected to. Awesome. When you were at Mendota, what all sports did you play? Uh, football, uh, four years. I did wrestling two years and track four years. Although I must say that track was never something that I really intended to do. I, I really enjoyed playing baseball. I wanted to play baseball, but uh, sometimes the world works differently and you end up doing something different. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that as well. What events did you do in track? Uh, I did the shot put discus. Because you're a big, strong, bulky football player? Well, here's the story, Brandon. So <laughs> when I was a freshman, and, and uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I've told this story many, many times. And, you know, I often ask, when I have recruits, I always ask them, well, how did you get interested in track? How did you get started in the sport? What do you really like to do? That sort of thing. I think it's relevant. And uh, sometimes I'm asked the same question, and I always have to tell the answer. The fact is that I wanted to play baseball. Baseball was my favorite sport. I wanted to play baseball so bad. Football was growing, and it was kind of a close second. And uh, my freshman year, after wrestling season, baseball and track started in those days. They had a, like an organizational meeting the first day, and then the next day you came and started practicing. And all they did really was hand out the permission slips and physical forms, that sort of thing. Right? When I walked up to the uh, an old MHS, the baseball meeting was in the study hall on the second floor. And when I walked in there, I was a little bit late. Uh, Larry Martins was a coach. I was a little bit late. The room was packed. There was no room. And I was kind of a little timid, you know, as a freshman. I decided, uh, snap decision, I'm just going to blow this meeting off. And uh, I had Coach Martins for class. So, uh, you know, I'll just turn in my slip tomorrow. My parents will sign it. I'll be good to go. I'll show up for practice. And uh, so I went downstairs. I walked down the hall and I was going to the bike rack outside the cafeteria. And as I was walking past the cafeteria, the doors flung open and legendary coach uh, from Mendota and an athlete, Don Hamill, stepped out. And, you know, he was one of the sophomore football coaches and he called my name and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, nothing, I'm going home. And, and he said, come here. And he told me to sit down. And I sat down and he walked over to the other side of the cafeteria. And he talked to a bunch of guys over there and he came back and he had uh, another teacher with him, was John Jackson. And, and they came over and he said, Dirk, this is Coach Jackson. And I said, hello, Coach Jackson. I mean, you know, John's a, JJ's a big guy. And I thought maybe he's a football coach I didn't know or something. I don't, I don't know. I didn't really know who he was. And, uh, and I stood up and, and JJ said, so tell me why you want to be a thrower. And I just remember kind of out of the side of my eye, I was in a complete panic. Like, what do I say? Because there's Don Hamill, a football coach. And I realize now he's the track coach too. And I realized that that was the track meeting. And so just kind of in a panic, I said, I thought it'd be a great idea to go for track so I could get stronger and be a shape for football. And there you have it. And that was it. That's it. <laughs> I tell that story, people think, oh, you, okay, you must really found something you're really good at. And the truth is, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I never placed individually in the NCIC meet. I did letter three years because we went to a couple relay meets that I was able to score as a sophomore. 
I tried hard. I loved it. I had great teammates, but uh, you know, I never went to state anything like that. But I sure did enjoy it. It kept me away from playing baseball, which I still play in the summer of beach ball. But <laughs> so that's the story. Don Hamill, it's all his fault. <laughs> Don Hamill, like you said, legendary athlete and coach in Mendota. I believe he is still the top basketball scorer of all time in boys. And John Jackson, he is a. Uh, one of those guys where you call Mr. Mrs. I call him Senior because I had him for Spanish for three years. I see him all the time. We'll talk about sports and connect. Uh, he was judging for uh, IHSA state track meets. I'd see him there every year. We'd get a sandwich together. And it was always Senior Jackson. I don't think I've ever called him John. Well, I call him JJ because I figured once he started calling me Bonehead that it was okay for me to call him JJ. <laughs> That's probably correct. That's probably correct. <laughs> well, trust me, he called me Bonehead many, many times. I, I love JJ, great guy. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. I love when I run into him. We'll talk forever if we wanted to. He's awesome. So after Mendota, you went to Monmouth, correct? Yeah, I went to Monmouth, uh, played football for... Two years, a third year, I attempted to play and got hurt. I got roped to the track there as well, because you know, small school, another one of those things. Uh, the football coach was also the track coach. I was running around with something to do. It was kind of fun. But when I got hurt, um, I was pretty unhappy in football, and I wasn't doing great in school. And I had tried to go to Augustana out of high school. I really believed in Coach Reed, and he had recruited me pretty he was the second coach that recruited me pretty hard. I know it was really hard for him to call me and tell me that I wasn't accepted to school. But uh, life is what it is. And I went to Monmouth, and then things got bad. And, you know, one of my best friends, Greg Corcoran, was up at Augie. And, you know, I, I knew a few people in Mendota, especially Bob Dessin, uh, who was a great mentor for me uh, through the years in high school. And his son, Tim, and Tammy was in my class. And Tom, a great family. You know, Bob had gone to Augustana, so... I decided to make a move and I went to Augustana and, and uh, I went at mid-year and uh, that was the first year that they went to the championship game and lost and so I was pretty stoked about getting there and I went out for track that year and had, had a lot of fun and improved a lot. I really, like I said, uh, Ols really had a big impact on me and, and I started to do a lot better in school and, and that sort of thing. So the downside was when I realized I wasn't going to be able to play football because <laughs> I knew I could play, and I really wanted to, but it just didn't work out. So it turned me to track full-time, and I just really invested a lot in myself to try and get better. And it was a good launch pad for me, for sure. So then after you graduate, Augie, did you come back to Mendota coach and coach, or did you have some stops in between? When I graduated from Augie, originally I was going to work, I was going to teach and coach at Dixon, uh, and uh, Cooper was, uh, John Cooper was a coach there at the time. And at the last minute that summer, I was working at a white camp in, in uh, Burlington, Wisconsin, just southwest of Milwaukee. And on an off weekend, I was just looking through the paper, and I saw a GA position for track and field at UW-Milwaukee. And, and uh, I called my coach back at Augie and talked to him about it. And he said, if you want to coach, go for it. I put in for it, and two days later, I was offered the position and took it. And then I had to call my dad and tell him that it turned out I paid a teaching position for a, uh, a coaching position that was going to pay me, like, Barely enough to drive back and forth, you know. <laughs> but I was at UW Milwaukee for, let's see, four years. And then I went uh, to Marquette, and I was there nine years, right across town in Milwaukee. And then from there, I went to Western Michigan. I was at Western Michigan for seven years, and then 
kind of what happened when I went to Sterling was as a Western Michigan, we had a great program and, you know, it was most, I mean, we had two national titles in the program and more conference titles in the program than all the other sports in the school combined. And, and uh, we were a Title IX cut, they cut men's track. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so in 2004, <laughs> my first head coaching job at Western Michigan, you know, two years in, you know, we, we really had a powerful team built and, and it was just ripped out from underneath us. And, you know, then it was a realization, well, I've got a family and no job. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of the stress of, you know, being a coach at this level. And that is, you know, a survival thing at that point. Most coaches would have just gone into the private sector or gone into the high school level. And that would have been that. And I got it that way. I did. Um, that's why I took the job at Sterling. I was like, I've had enough of this. I'm getting off this train. I'm going to try and live a more normal life. I took the job at Sterling. And, and when Illinois called, I really wasn't sure I wanted the job, to be honest. At the end of the day, I knew that if I didn't take that, this job right then and there, that I would never be able to get back in. University of Illinois is a great place. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if there was a place that could entice me to, to get back into college coaching after that experience, this was the spot. That's the trail. So that was kind of like the end of the rainbow. Like, hey, University of Illinois, which is a pretty big school, a nice landing spot. I've always told everybody I've, it, it's a destination job and it's or a destination location. I, I wouldn't say that this was ever my destination job. When I left Western Michigan, you know, having shouldered being a head coach and gone through having a program dropped and, you know, replacing all those kids in other programs and coaches that were looking for jobs around my staff and then moving my family and, you know, all that, it's, it's, it's a lot. But at the end of the day, when, you know, when Illinois called, I, I just kind of felt like this was a better place for my skill set than what I was doing in Sterling. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy what I did in Sterling. I, I did a great deal. I loved the people up there. Um, I, I was coaching the club team and working at the facility. I loved coaching the little kids. I had so much fun. And I learned a lot in the two years that I was there. Then I got back into Illinois, and, you know, the, the strange thing is I, I was sour on being head coach. I just wanted to be a good soldier. I, I'm going to go be a throws coach and field event coach, and I, I'll knock it out of the park. I've done this before. I'll kill it. And, you know, things kind of changed, and, you know, the program kind of, the environment dictated to me what was going to happen because four years after arriving here, I found myself in a program that was failing and dysfunctional and the head coach left in the middle of the year. And, you know, what do you do? He comes out and says, well, um, you're going to see it through for the end of the year and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the position I was in. You know, and that's survival, man. That's, you know, I didn't want to move my family again. I didn't want to hit the job market. I didn't, I did that. I, I looked and I was like, this is just nuts. I, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm going to survive or I'm out again. You know, the opportunity presented itself as an interim head coach to, you don't want to move or find a different job, then you better suck it up. I didn't really have a design of being a men's coach, but that's where I ended. And then, you know, I, at the men's program, we went to a high level. We won a, we won a big 10 title and we're top 10 in the country. And, you know, they came to me and said, hey, uh, we're going to put these two programs together and we want you to kind of reshape it. <laughs> you know, and I, that was not what I asked for. That was I was doing just fine, but it was a new challenge. And, you know, it's kicked my butt a little bit. But, you know, we're <laughs> shoulder against the wheel and pushing hard and, and making progress and, you know, starting to see some of the fruit of that labor. So, 
my position is director of track and field and cross country. Um, I have a head cross country coach on my staff, Sarah Hodman, who is from Orland Park, went to Sanford High School and attended Purdue and, and graduated from Purdue and ran there. She has done just a phenomenal job. Um, she's been my partner in this right hand uh, from day one when we combined. She's just been an anchor, so we're seeing some real results uh, in her area, especially now, and the program is starting to grow, so pretty pleased with, with the roots we've, we've got. Definitely. Did you ever coach in Mendota? I thought for some odd reason you did, but it doesn't sound like you did. I did. I knew that I wanted to coach. That was like when I went to school, I didn't want to go to school, but I wanted to coach, so I knew that that was something I had to do. Very early on, I was coaching, like I took over the American Legion baseball program for two years in Mendota. Well, I didn't coach Mark Cooper, but I had Mike Cooper, uh, Johnny Booker, Billy's little brother. I had that uh, Dave Elsesser, that whole crew. Um, I coached them in baseball, American Legion ball, uh, for a couple of years. Um, I used to come back and help with the junior tackle program quite a bit when I could. I didn't really coach a team. I would come back because I was also doing, when I was in college, I was also doing a lot of high school scouting for Tim Dessing when he was coaching at Lamoille. So I would come back and I'd go over and help with the junior high, you know, the middle school kids in the junior tackle program. I'd go hit the road and scout for Tim, come back Saturday, stay through the weekend, go back to school, you know, stuff like that. So that's the coaching that I've done in Mendota. Gotcha, gotcha. Thought you had, I was just asking because I was like, oh, it wasn't in the timeline, but I know it was somewhere in there. Also kind of connecting dots, so you started at Illinois in 2005? Fall of 05. My first season was 05, 06. Gotcha. And then you would have took over, well, your first year as interim coach, that would have been 09? 09, 10. Oh, the 10 season. Gotcha. And then what year did you win the Big Ten that year? No, we didn't win the Big Ten until 20. Interim head coach in 2010, 2011. And then head coach in 2012. And we won the Big Ten in 2015. We were last in 2010. Was it all your fault? I was, it was all my fault, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, it's all your fault. You know, a lot of your help, your credit for winning the Big Ten in 2015. So it's give and take, right? In spite of my efforts, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can take that, you know. It's, it's, you know, there's good and bad. You win and you lose, and... You know, I, I think that I've had times in my career where I really struggled with that. But, you know, that's kind of what I was alluding to before. Those were times when I kind of lost track of, like, why I was really doing what I was doing. I, I never really did it to win. I did it to mentor kids and help them, you know, kind of explore and discover the best of what they could be. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the best of what you can be or what I can be. You know, at one time I did I did coach a lot of football too. I coached a lot of high school football early in my early in my coaching career up in Wisconsin, and, and uh, I enjoyed parts of it. But track is completely different than football because in track, the thing you can't do is you can't call timeout, you can't play defense, you can't hide. It's like wrestling; it's one on one. But even wrestling, you can counter, you can make, you can play defense. In track, I can't stop anybody else from doing what they're going to do. And you have to be able to respect that other people are really talented. Other people are going to work hard. Other people, you know, they're paying the price too. And there's always going to be somebody out there that can beat you. It's much different than working in a team sport or an individual sport where you really can 
invokes different types of strategies defensively. And that's not to say we don't have race strategies, but basically it comes down to most of our events. You can't do anything to, to impede the other person from performing at their best. I have never thought that way about track. You're right. There's absolutely no defense. It's offense, offense, offense. That's it. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's completely different. And so, what do you do when you, you know, feel like you've, you know, like you've, you really prepared yourself at your best, and you go and you perform, and you think, man, I've performed at a high level, and you just get stomped. <laughs> it's a wake up call. You know, that's part of it. And then you have a decision to make. You know, you have a decision to make, and it's a judgment internally about, and, and certainly as a coach and a mentor, you try to impact that, but this thought process, but, you know, for, for the athletes, well, can I do this? Do I want to challenge myself to do this? Can I rise to that kind of level? And if they do, then let's go. You know, keep going to work and challenge yourself to get better. It's a pretty simple process, really. <laughs> it seems like it, but it seems much easier to say than to do. At the end of the day, it does come back to survival. And, you know, I think that that survival mentality, it also goes, um, gosh, I was listening to uh, a book, an audio book um, called The Psychology of Money. The survival mode is kind of what they talk about in investing, right? It's, it's, it's the long game. It's playing the long game. That's how I view it. That's what I've looked at, what I've done. And I went through all the struggles and all the hard times and kept kept going, kept going, kept going. And maybe there were some little payouts here and there. And you just keep going. And, and the big payout, you just keep venturing in and keep investing in the big payouts at the end. You know, it, it compounds. I hope that makes sense of some way. It's all right, you brought it full you brought it back, you came back around. We're also talking about challenging and obviously it's a head game, the team, individual stuff that we were talking about. The Big Ten is not easy. Physical specimens that are around uh, again, the mental game, so uh, most of these people are highly educated or are getting highly educated, so they got the mental game, they got the physical game at a top-notch level for Division One college, and like you said, won the championship in 2015, that's five years after you take over, and you haven't won it again, have you? No, uh, we've had a couple of runner-ups and a couple of, you know, teams that challenged in the top top part and, and that sort of thing so I think we're getting close to making another run to that I think we're uh, we're starting to fill some of those gaps since we merged those men's and women's programs together so making some headway there definitely that's just what I was you know kind of tipping in on or getting to is you know you guys are the some of the best competition in the country at the college level and you've been, you've been in it for 17 years you know day in day out season in season out it's not easy obviously It's funny because I've, well, I shouldn't say funny, it's interesting that uh, I've been really fortunate. I've seen uh, seven Olympians go through our program since I've been here that I've either mentored over, directed over, or have been a part of the program or worked with them directly or recruited them. Somewhere in that process, I've had seven here in Illinois. And um, it's, you know, you think these people are like, incredible incredible athletes and the things they can do is jaw dropping 
it's been amazing that they come from such humble beginnings. And, you know, I think that's just kind of a testament to Illinois is a special place and it attracts elite people and attracts special people. And sometimes those people have done things in different areas or when they get here, they get just in the right platform or maybe in the right event or the right activity where they really can apply all their skill sets and flourish. You know, for instance, Andrew Riley, who was a four-time NCAA champion for us, and he was in two Olympic games, and I think four worlds, world classes, you know, kind of an understatement. Andrew is the only person in NCAA history, only male. I don't think a female has done ever either, but uh, I know he's the only male in NCAA history to ever win the 110 hurdles and the 100 meters in the same championship. Incredible, right? He came to Illinois from Jamaica, so everything's always Jamaican, he's great. He was a high jumper and a head athlete in Jamaica. He wasn't a sprinter or a hurdler. But he came here and, you know, that's like he found his thing and he flourished. He was just a really special guy. If he would have stayed in the high jump, he probably would have been an Olympian in that. If he would have played soccer somewhere, he would have been an Olympian in that. Like, that was his character. That's who he was. You know, that's the thing that I just like it. It just blows me away when you talk about the level. Yes, there are people who walk in the door here that are uber talented, and you can see it from day one. And then there are others where you go, huh, Gia, uh, Louis Smallwood, who I coached for over 10 years, and she was American record holder at Discus Olympian, and, and uh, she was an Illinois alum. I did not coach her at Illinois, but um, she's a local product. She came here, walk on for the basketball team. I mean, she only threw the discus a couple times in high school. She walked on for the basketball team and played her freshman year and then decided she didn't want to play basketball anymore and then walked on to the bank to the track team. And she's an Olympian. Wow. wow. Like, explain that. Explain that, Brandon. Right? Uh, I you know, so it's, it's just crazy. I, I love it. it. It's amazing. And, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, all the things that, you know, I've been blessed in my career. So many special student athletes that I've had, teams and places that I've been and all the travels and all that. But really the number one blessing that I've really had was the 10 years that I had the opportunity to coach Gia. Because it encompassed all those things, a world-class level and all these new experiences. But really coaching for someone for that long gave me a much deeper insight in relationship with them, uh, with her and uh, her family, and really got to know really deeply what she's about and a tremendous experience. It, it, incredible. Yes, my career ended tomorrow. The boss calls me tomorrow and says, hey, uh, we're going in a different direction. Uh, I got no regrets. Walk out the door and I look back at my career and go, wow, <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Who are some of the other Olympians that you were able to coach? Well, our most recent one this year was uh, in this past Olympic Games was Dave Kinzira. I'm so proud of what Dave did in his career. Another one of those guys that, you know, as a junior in high school, we barely noticed him. We recruited him uh, basically as a walk-on. Uh, funny thing about uh, Dave's recruitment, his senior year, he started running Eastern Prospect High School. Uh, he started running a little bit faster and you know, I was looking at him like, well, this kid's about 6'4". He's a pretty good-looking kid. He's really skinny and all, but he seems to try hard and got a little bit of talent, and his times are dropping. And But my hurdle coach, uh, Adrian Wheatley, who did a great job you know, coaching Dave and was with me for seven years, 
Adrian's like, Coach, I don't know. He goes, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I see it. So I said, we're going to go look at him. We offered him books, I think, or something like that. And he was kind of waiting to see what he wanted to do, and he's talked to other people. So we get in the car, we drive up to watch him at his sectional meets, and then afterwards talk to his coach, and, and his coach brings his parents over and all that. And, and at the time, I was you know, telling me, like, I think this kid's got something special. And uh, we really weren't sure until we saw him run the 4x4. Four four. He let off his high school's 4x4 four four and just laid out a really great effort in that race. And that was enough to kind of pique my interest more. And I said, well, let's get him on board. And and uh, we did, but he was not a big scholarship guy. He did win the state that year, but he was not a big, highly recruited national level guy. And, you know, Dave uh, made an impact as a freshman. His sophomore year was the year we won the Big Ten. His senior year, he went to the NCAA meet in the 110 hurdles, the 400 hurdles, uh, made the final in the both of those events. I mean, memory serves me right, he was the first person in 39 years to do that. He finished third in the 400 hurdles, which was his specialty, um, and he finished runner-up in the 110 hurdles, almost beat Grant Holloway, who was the uh, world champion that year. Just amazing. So... Uh, you know, again, kind of humble beginnings, but Dave just has that heart of champion. Um, his whole Olympic it was, he just believed in himself and he made the team the Farner Hurdles. So, so proud of him. Asia Evans is one that I think is really cool. Asia's from Chicago, Morgan Park High School, and she was a sprinter in high school. I was not here when she was in high school. She came here, she transferred here from UNLV. She's been a sprinter and a shot putter, which is kind of an interesting combination. But she was an All-American here as a shot putter, and I worked with her a little bit. And she was with the women's team as before I had the women's team under my control. So I worked with her a little bit, and um, as a post-collegian, she was considering she wanted to continue in, in track, and, and so she came to me and was seeking out opportunities to, to, to be a thrower and wanted to know if I would coach her, and, and at the time I was coaching the GS, so it was starting to make sense. And then she decided she was going to do something else, and she went back home and uh, started doing some training. Eventually, she got into bobsled, and she's a three-time Olympian on the bobsled team. She's a bronze medalist in the bobsledding. So, just what she, I will tell you, Asia, without a doubt, in my mind, my opinion, male or female, the best athlete ever at Illinois. Wow. You know, just just talking pure athletic ability. I'm not talking about skill like a basketball player or a football player. I'm just talking about pure athletic ability, speed, power. Oh, she's phenomenal. Best that I've seen. Um, best that I've seen, obviously, some pretty good ones, but she was just phenomenal. The combination of power and speed that she had just has is incredible. Her brother was, uh, I don't remember his name, different. I think his last name is Washington. But her brother was a defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, okay. Ooh. So, yeah, pretty athletic. Pretty athletic talent. Yeah, definitely. I would say so. Right now on your team, you got a guy named Brett Dennis, who is from St. Bede. He's from Arlington, went to St. Bede. I covered his state championships in the hurdles when he was in school. I was also there for his senior sectional where he uh, re-injured himself. He gets over a hurdle, kind of pushes it. He's like, I'm done. He already knew he was joining you, coming to Illinois. So everybody's like, hey, it would have been cool to see him win another state championship. Uh, We know what his future is. But he has been kind of thriving with your program. 
It's, it's, it's a hard route for Brett. Um, it is for a lot of people. And again, that's a survival thing, right? I'm really proud of Brett. Brett works really hard. He's become a leader in our program. We made a coaching change in his event. He was, um, you know, this is kind of what happens. And, you know, I, I understand that it doesn't work out always the best, but we keep trying to make, make it right. And I think we've got it right. I mentioned Coach Wheatley before who had worked with uh, Dave Kinzira and he'd worked with, uh, you know, some other hurlers we had that were Big Ten champions all Americans. He's, he's a great coach. He's now the coach of Ball State. Adrian and I, you know, recruited Brett. Adrian was the hurl coach, and of course I was involved in recruitment, knowing the background of Brett and that sort of thing, and some, some local and family connections that we have, some common connections, and would have been Brett's fresh after Brett's freshman year, and he was a little banged up still his freshman year, but after his freshman year, Coach Wheatley left. You know, the, the next coach we had in just didn't really click real well, in my opinion, with Brett. We did make a coaching change um, last year and brought in a new coach who really specializes in the hurdles, and, and, and I think that's really helped Brett a lot. I think it's he's really been able to kind of get dialed in the right way. He's always worked hard, but it just wasn't clicking, and and now we're seeing it start to click. And so I think that um, I think that he's going to run. Always kind of tends to run his fastest races outdoors. Uh, I think he's going to have a great spring. Uh, looking forward. He's also going to be running our four by one relay. And then uh, I think it's pretty pretty good chance Brett will be back next year as a grad student. Um, he'll be graduating this spring, and he's expressed an interest in coming back next year and going to grad school. So and we'd love to have him back. So that's the next part we'll be working on with him. Definitely. I mean, who doesn't want to stay at University of Illinois for another year if you got the opportunity? <laughs> I keep trying. <laughs> I remember when my time was up at SIU and I didn't want to leave. And I know I've been on trips to U of I. It's a fantastic campus and everything is super beautiful around there. So, yeah, I'd stay too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the plan. Stay for a bit. I do want to say hi to everybody back in Illinois Valley, especially Mendota. Oh, a lot of great people and friends still there. I don't, I don't get to get back very often, and and uh, lose touch with a lot of people. I only see them once every eight to ten years. And hey to everybody. Awesome. I'm sure they're saying hi to you right now as they just heard that. They might be doing some airwaves, some airwaves, some air hugs, some air fist pounds. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's enough. Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> Perfect. All right, let's play this game and I'll let you go. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Every guest on the UFC podcast, we have played a game. Let's play some hot potato. I'll throw you two objects, places, people, things, whatever, and you just pick one. Let's do it. All right, we'll start you off. Pepsi. Pepsi. <laughs> All right, okay, we'll go that one. Pepsi Coke. I guess you already got your answer. Oh, wait, wait, I gotta, I gotta say this with Nike. <laughs> I'm, I'm sponsored, so I gotta throw my, my sponsor out there. Thank you, Nike. There you go. Here's how you do first. Alright, your show, go for it. I just heard a cha-ching go on somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> Not in my pocket. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Since you were a thrower, I mean, that's when you started off coaching. Uh, are you more shot put or this guy? Oh my gosh, that's the worst question ever. 
Just the states in general, which one do you like better? <laughs> oh, Illinois. <laughs> I have this debate with people all the time, so I was just curious to what you would say. I, I love my Wisconsin people, though. I do. I do. That's a that's a good question. I do, but nah, I'm, I'm Illinois all the way. Once you set in retirement, are you going to be fishing more or playing more golf? Golf. Are you any good? At least you're honest. I can, I can hit it far, and sometimes I hit it straight. I'm getting better at hitting it straight, but I can't hit it far. Hmm. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, that's the way I look at it. Illinois colors. The blue or the orange? Orange. Would you rather drive a car or a truck? Car. Is baseball still your favorite sport? <laughs> yes. White Sox or Chicago Cubs? I do. I am actually, Come we on. have a mutual friend and a Mr. Pat Beals, so I already knew. Yes. Yes, indeed. And nothing against the Cubs. Nothing against the Cubs. But Coach Beals and I had uh, a great trip one time together to a Cubs game, so um, I've got nothing against the Cubs and my, my tough friends, but I'm a White Sox fan all the way. And then, one more before we let you go. You're getting tacos. Steak, chicken, or beef? That's that's the only way, right? Yeah. Then where are you buying those for me? <laughs> I'll come out to Champagne. You tell me what spot. I'll pay for them. We'll go. We'll go to Chiching Maze. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another no, sponsor. A, I love it. It's, it's a great, great spot here in uh, in Champagne Maze. There's two locations, but it's great. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Mike Turk, I'm glad that after two years of scheduling and busy schedules of ourselves and everything that you've been doing, thank you very much for joining Edge of Your Seat Podcast. It has been a blast talking to you. I've had fun time, and uh, yeah, it seems like it's been uh, years that we've been talking about doing this, so I'm glad we were finally able to get it done. <laughs> 